Okay, folks, well, I'm really excited in a moment just to hand over to Val Reed. Uh, Val is the minister of Christchurch in Hitchin, great friends of Zio, and she's going to bring us a message on Palm Sunday. But I just want to read from the scripture, the story that she's going to be referring to, and I want to read from Luke chapter 19 from verse 28. And it says this, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and they found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And so they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like this. But Jesus replied, If they kept quiet the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So we're excited to hear from Val. And so, hey, everyone, give a big shout out for Val Reed from Christchurch. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Okay, every morning for the last three months, I've been playing Wordle. Must confess, I'm a bit of a Wordle addict. Luckily, with Wordle, you only get one game each day, so it's not too much of a time waster. And if you haven't come across Wordle yet, what planet are you from? It's a simple online game where you have to guess a five-letter word in six tries. And every morning, my sister in Wales also does Wordle, and we like to swap our scores in a kind of friendly, sisterly rivalry. What is it about Wordle that's made it so much a part of my life? I like to think that it's not just that I'm a slave to the latest fad, though I did first read about it in The Guardian. My sister and I both lead complex and challenging and busy lives. She's head of English in a big comprehensive school in the Welsh Valleys. Last week, she had half her department off with COVID. So she was teaching three classes at once, 90 kids in the room. Even without COVID, the children in her school present with all kinds of problems, financial, emotional, psychological. She can't solve them all. Most of the time, she's running to stand still. I'm the minister of two churches, Christ Church across the road here in Hitchin and Purton, tiny Methodist chapel in the village a few miles away. We have a very different set of problems to the ex-mining towns of South Wales, but they're problems nonetheless, and they're also financial and emotional and psychological. I can't solve them all, much as I'd like to, and I too know what it feels like to be running to stand still. So Wordle is a little oasis of calm. I always solve it, usually in three or four moves. A couple of times I've taken the full six, but I've never failed, not once. 
there are a limited number of options. And each time you guess wrong, you increase the chances of guessing right next time. If only life were like Wordle. If only there were always a right answer. If only it were possible to puzzle out the solutions to the world's problems in five minutes with a little intellectual effort and a love of the English language. No wonder my sister and I like Wordle. When I look around this world of ours, there are very few problems that can be solved in six moves or fewer. Of course, there are a few instant solutions out there. Will Smith has just been banned from the Oscars for 10 years for slapping Chris Rock. But that doesn't solve the bigger problem of the emotional effects of jokes about alopecia or the problem of violence as an instinctive response to an insult. Rishi Sunak's wife has promised to pay tax in the UK in future after the row about recent revelations about her non-DOM status and its financial perks. But that doesn't solve the problem of the widening gap between rich and poor, the impossible decisions between feeding children and heating the house faced by those on benefits, which the wealthy Chancellor has not put up in line with inflation. What about the war in Ukraine? We feel absolutely paralysed. Most of us agree that Putin's a tyrant and must be stopped, we can see the aftermath of Russian bombings in ordinary Ukrainian villages. Photos of abandoned luggage and pushchairs from the station in Kramatorsk have broken our hearts. But how to prevent a tyrant waging war without risking more war? We all know that violence is not the answer to violence, but what is the answer? What about the environmental crisis? War in Europe has bumped this off our front pages. But this week, the IPCC has said that if greenhouse gas emissions don't start to fall before 2025, we'll have missed our last chance to save the planet. Extinction Rebellion have asked all their supporters to take a week's leave in the coming week so they can engage in another round of civil disruption. But the last time they blocked motorway exits, they were roundly criticised by mums trying to get their kids to school or workers trying to get to the office. And though we're all on the side of our beleaguered planet, in theory, actually we're all dying to fly away for an Easter break in the sunshine after a difficult couple of years. So what is the answer? No wonder we're turning to Wordle to make us feel that something at least is within our control. Something can be resolved. Something fits. Today is Palm Sunday. We heard the familiar story just now from Luke's Gospel. For the last ten chapters, Luke has followed Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem. On the way, he has healed the sick, preached the good news, and made enemies of the religious and political powers. Now he has reached Jerusalem. What will happen next? How will the story play out during Passover week? And what has this story got to say to our world in 2022? Well, of course, there is the obvious message, the one we've heard since we were children in Sunday school. I don't know about you, but we used to sing, we have a king who rides a donkey to the tune of what shall we do with a drunken sailor, which I always thought was a bit inappropriate for Methodist children. But from an early age, we were taught that the donkey signified humility. This wasn't a king sweeping in on a war horse. This wasn't a king who would drive out the hated Roman occupiers and restore the country to independence. Though, of course, this is what the people hoped for and longed for, that the Messiah would be a superhero 
would lead an army to victory, would make Israel great again. As I was writing this sermon yesterday afternoon, the daily psalm in the Methodist prayer handbook was Psalm 144. This is how it begins. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they smoke. Make the lightning flash and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Yep, that was what the people of Israel were longing for. Someone to do their routing for them. Just as we long for someone to take on Vladimir Putin and defeat the evil empire. And that was very much not who Jesus was. Riding a borrowed donkey made that very clear. This is an acted out parable. And like all of Jesus' parables, something is a bit odd, a bit out of place. The beloved son is the one who ran away and wasted his inheritance. The good neighbor is a despised Samaritan. The most generous benefactor is the poor widow offering a single mite at the temple. The king is riding a donkey. The story reminds us that it's all too easy to project onto God our own hopes and our own desires and our own expectations about what the solution might be. But we are simply creating idols. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on his borrowed donkey, he was reminding his followers then, as he reminds us now, that God is always bigger than our narrow assumptions, always a bit different always working out of a whole different set of values. But I think it's more than that. I think this story tells us a profound truth that it's hard for us to get our heads around. It tells us there are actually no simple answers. Life is not a game of Wordle, with a five-letter word just waiting to be puzzled out if only we try hard enough. Life is a bit more nuanced than that. The crowds are cheering, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in highest heaven. And just a few days later, they'll be shouting, crucify him. Disciples are accompanying Jesus into the heart of the establishment, defying politicians and the priests. And a few days later, they will have denied and betrayed and run away in fear. Yep, this story reminds us that life is complicated, that our desire for simple solutions is about our own insecurities, not about our willingness to embrace the nature of reality. The story reminds us that life is both and. More than one thing can be true at the same time. This is a king who is not a king, a teacher who washes his disciples' feet, a messiah who will not kill the tyrants but actually will allow himself to be killed. A saviour who dies and is buried. A death which is somehow not death. There are no simple solutions. Though actually there is one simple solution, but one that makes no sense at all. As we move through Holy Week towards the cross and the grave and the empty tomb, that solution which is nothing less than the salvation of the whole world will play itself out. And we still won't understand it, or be able to explain it, or set it out neatly in six moves. But there is one final thing that this story offers us, 
and that is choice. I've always found it odd that in Luke's story, in this short passage of just 13 verses, Luke devotes half of them to explaining in great detail how the disciples came to acquire the donkey. When he'd come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find tied there a colt that's never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say, the Lord needs it. And having told us what's going to happen, Luke tells us again what did happen in repetitive detail. Why? Scholars and commentators have many suggestions. Is it about prophecy? Jesus knowing what will happen, fulfilling the words of Zechariah, echoing the coronation of Solomon? Is it a secret code word, an underground resistance army just waiting to get going? It's probably all of these things. But it seems to me that Luke tells his story with a wider purpose. And the purpose is to invite us, his readers, to participate in the story. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. The donkey is not being requisitioned, as the Roman army had the power to requisition cloaks and animals and even people. It's being borrowed with permission. The owner has a choice. The Lord needs it. From the beginning to the end of his gospel, Luke tells the stories of people who are invited to share in God's story. Begins with Mary, who's invited to be the mother of God's son. The Lord needs you. <clears throat> it's a choice she's offered. And I wonder how the story would have been different if she said no. If her fearful and perplexed questions had led her to say it was too much. It was more than she could bear. But Mary says yes. And so the story begins. We're in Lent. And Lent begins with the story of Jesus' time in the wilderness. The Lord needs you to exercise your ministry in this particular way, to resist the temptations of spectacular popularity or easy power. It's another question and another choice and another yes. And then the first story that Jesus tell, Luke tells us after Jesus comes back from the desert is about rejection in his hometown of Nazareth. People don't like his interpretation of their tribal story. They don't like his desire to open up the love of God to Gentiles and foreigners and other undesirables. This time they choose no. Not here, not now. And so the stories go on throughout Luke's Gospels. The disciples are called. Some, the 12 we're familiar with, say yes. And some, the ones who write themselves out of the story, say no. First, let me go and bury my father. First, let me go and say goodbye to those at home. Ten lepers are healed. Nine rush off home delighted. Only one comes back to say thank you. This chapter, which ends with Jesus entering Jerusalem, begins with his encounter with Zacchaeus. Come down, I'd like to stay at your house today. The Lord needs you. Another choice, another story. Sometimes we know how a story ends. And sometimes we don't. What happened to those nine lepers who walked out of the gospel? 
What happened to Zacchaeus after Jesus left his house? What happened to the owners of the donkey who said yes to Jesus? We don't know. But in the gospel stories, we see Jesus working with the people who are prepared to say yes. People who are prepared to let go of their property, their security, their lives, and choose to be part of the story, even though they don't understand it. So Luke asks us to think about the choices that we make. What is Jesus asking from us? We'll only find out if we have the courage to say yes. We know what Jesus is not. He's not the sort of king who rides into battle to crush his enemies. He's not the sort of leader who offers us a simple set of rules which will solve all the problems of the world or even all the problems of our lives. He just offers us a very simple choice. Do you want to be part of my story? There are no guarantees, no security, no easy solutions, no simple happy ever after. Over at Christchurch, we are part of the story and we know about the challenge of no easy solutions. Last year, the Methodist Conference accepted the report, God in Love Unites Us. It asks the question, what are the hallmarks of a holy relationship? It sets out to answer two questions. Is it okay to live together as a couple if you're not married? Is it okay for same-sex couples to get married in a Methodist church? No simple answers to this one. It depends. It depends on the nature of your relationship. It depends on your commitment to each other and to God. It depends how you read the Bible. Within the Methodist Church, there are two understandings of marriage. A lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. A lifelong commitment between two people who love each other. Both understandings are affirmed within the broad church that's Methodism. And each individual church needs to decide, shall we register to conduct same-sex marriages? That's the conversation we're having at the moment in Christchurch. We don't all think alike on this matter. There is no simple five-letter solution which will solve this conundrum. But we are committed to listening to each other with respect and with compassion. We choose to continue our pilgrimage of faith together, even though there's no simple answer. So I think this is part of the message of Palm Sunday. You have a choice. You can choose to follow or not. And God will use your choice. Even if you make a choice that turns out to be mistaken, that choice can be redeemed if you choose to accept redemption. Luke is writing for readers who know how the story ends. They know that the road to Jerusalem leads to arrest and trial and crucifixion. But it leads through Good Friday to Easter Sunday, through death and abandonment to resurrection and an unimaginable, unimagined new story. As we travel through Holy Week, let's be alert to those moments when we are invited to take part, when we have a choice. We may not be saving the world, but actually we are saving the world, one choice at a time. Journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So each choice may seem a small on the edge, behind the scenes moment, 
like the donkey owner who said yes to the two odd men untying his animal. But each of those choices is important. Each choice is an opportunity to be part of the bigger picture. Each choice is a chance to participate in the story of the kingdom. Amen. 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 Thank you, Val. We're going to take a moment to pause before we bring our tongue together to a close and pray. Respond to what we've heard. We've been reminded of so much in that time with what Val shared of life is complex, complicated, but every day, in every moment, Jesus is inviting us to play a part in his story. Maybe for the very first time, or maybe for the thousands or the tens of thousands time. And so, in this time, I'm actually going to pray just one prayer. And it's a, a prayer that you can pray for the first time. And it's a prayer that perhaps, in a sense, Christians pray every single day. It's a prayer that cries out to God, sorry, thank you, and help. It's a prayer that makes a choice that says, Jesus, I want to be part of your story. I want to be involved in what you're doing to put the wrong things right in the world. And so here's the prayer. God, I am sorry for the things that I've said or done or thought that have hurt and harmed myself, other people, your world, my relationship with you. I'm sorry that I've tried to be my own savior and boss. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you proved your love by coming to die on a cross and rise again in order that death can be defeated and I can enjoy life with you both now and forever. Help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to play my part in your great story. Help me to become like you. Help me to live a life of love and light and goodness and kindness and mercy and justice, of hope, of healing, of peace, of comfort and strength. Help me to live like you in the world. You helping me, your Holy Spirit at work in me. Help me to make that choice today and every day for the rest of my life until I see you face to face. If you have agreed with that prayer and that the word amen literally just means yes, so be it, I agree. And if you've agreed that maybe for the very first time, or if you feel like you've drifted from God and come back and, and through what all that's happened this morning, you feel, okay, I need to get back on track with God. Again, let me encourage you to reach out to us at zeochurch.com forward slash connect. Leave us a message 
will come back to you to support you and help you in any way we can into this amazing choice of playing your part in God's great story.